here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? Just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my den. He's just Makazi now. He's not okay, kidding. He's so, so Mik- he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, he's a, a boy. He's a later. man. He's, he's a man. Man, Makazi. Are you ready? He got PWS superstar Brian Buck. And he was gone in two minutes. In go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Nerablis. You're missing a B there, but that's okay. There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. From a rain-soaked College Station, Texas, where apparently we are being hit with a hurricane, and uh, the first time hearing about this hurricane was actually about 10 minutes before I started recording this podcast. I had no idea that there was a hurricane coming. Apparently, Hurricane Patricia is rolling through Mexico, and um, most of Texas is under siege with rainstorms today. You know, Mexico's really getting hit with the brunt of this, and it's coming in from the uh, from the uh, west coast of Mexico and then sweeping across that country and then into into Texas. So we're really just getting rain at this point. There, there's not a ton of wind. But what I'm most annoyed about is earlier this spring we had a ton of nasty, windy rainfall here in Texas. And my backyard fence must have blown down on three separate occasions. I am getting so tired 
of getting this fence put back up. And uh, my biggest concern now is not massive amounts of deaths in Mexico or rampant flooding hitting the Houston area once again, uh, as it did in the spring when we were hit with torrential rainfalls. No, selfishly, once again, my main concern here is this backyard fence blowing down. And I'm looking out my window now as I record this with fingers crossed, hoping that this fence doesn't get blown down again. Because that's how selfish I am. I'm worried about the backyard fence. Because I'll tell you, it's such a pain in the ass getting these fences fixed. Last time the fence blew down, it was sort of a shared fence with the neighbor. Okay? And it was down for about a week. And we would both kind of look at each other when we were leaving the house for work. Nobody wanted to make a move. Finally, the neighbor comes over and knocks on the door. He says, uh, Mr. Joe. I don't know why he calls me Mr. Joe. I think it's like a – he's like a – he's an Indian fella. And I think just – it seems like maybe in his culture you just throw Mr. in front of the first name. I don't know what's going on. But he calls me Mr. Joe. So he says, Mr. Joe, you know, the fence is down. What are, what are we going to do about this? And I said, you know, I thought about it. I'm almost positive that that portion of the fence, which is shared between our two yards, is actually my responsibility. And – the other side of the fence, which I share with a different neighbor, whose name is also Joe, but that's neither here nor there. That fence, I believe legally, is his responsibility. You're not responsible for both sides of the fence. You're only responsible for one side of the fence. And this way, each person in the neighborhood is responsible for, for half of the fence. It, it, it makes sense if you think about it. But I'm almost positive that the, that the portion of the fence that blew down on this side was, was the side of the fence that, that I'm responsible for. And I knew this, but I didn't say anything because he was obviously coming over to negotiate. And listen, Joe Lanza is a bulldog at the negotiation table. He just is. Okay. So you, you don't want to be at the negotiation table with Joe Lanza. So I had this in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, well, let's see if legal push comes to legal shove here. I'm going to be responsible for paying for this fence. So I got to play this cool. I got to save a few bucks. So I said to the guy, I said, look, why don't we do it this way? And, and on top of it, I, as, as most people, and anyone who listens to this podcast know, I'm a very lazy man. Um, so I, I had to win on two fronts here. So what I said to him was, listen, and here's a deal. I, I, I also made a similar deal with my other neighbor uh, the previous spring when that fence fell over. And what I said to him was, listen. If you do the legwork and you find the contractor and you make the phone calls and get the work done and just bring me the bill when the fence is repaired, we can split it 60-40. I'll pay 60% of the bill. All I'm asking you to do is find the contractor, handle the headache portion of this, and I'll pay 60% of the bill. And he agreed to it, which was great. Because maybe he didn't check his, uh, his, his paperwork or whatnot. But I, I, I mean, technically, I was responsible for 100% of the bill. So anyway, so he gets it done. A couple days later, there's a guy back there, you know, working the gimmick, fixing the fence. And um, so I'm waiting. I'm waiting around. I'm expecting him to come knocking on the door with the bill. I wait a day. I wait two days. I wait a week. I wait two weeks. I, I haven't seen this guy since. So I've gotten away scot-free. Apparently, he paid for the contract. And he hasn't. He hasn't left a note on the door. He hasn't knocked on the door. Um, I 
I haven't spoken to him, and this has been months. This is this is in the spring. This was probably in, in April when this occurred. So I got away with not paying for the fence, which is tremendous. But now I'm worried because apparently, you know, Patricia's sweeping through here. I think it's Patricia. It's Hurricane Patricia, right? It's one of those Arquette uh, family members. I'm pretty sure it's Patricia, the name of this hurricane. But, uh, but now I'm worried because, you know, if this fence blows down again, and he, you know, he didn't exactly hire uh, Bob Vila to go back there and fix this fence. I mean, it was a very, you know, but, but who am I to complain? I didn't have to pay for it, so, you know, what do I care? But uh, hopefully it doesn't blow down again because then it's just going to reopen this whole can of worms. I mean, I don't have to pay for the fence again. But anyway, nobody turned this on to listen about my woes about my fence that's about to blow down because of this hurricane. So I'm getting a little wrestling. But before we do that, I've got to get the plugs in. This is usually Rich's job, but since this is a Joe Lanza solo effort, I've got to do the plugs myself. But that's no problem. I'm a plug master. And this is – see, Rich doesn't understand a lot of things, okay? He's a control freak and, you know, he likes to – he likes to hog the intro. He likes to hog the plugs. He thinks he's like this slick professional broadcaster. He's got this whole ego thing going on. And, you know, he just leaves Joe Lanza. Listen, Joe Lanza could do plugs. I can do plugs with the best of them. So if you go to VoicesOfWrestling.com right now, there will be reviews of two Road to Power Struggle shows, October 23rd, handled by Rob McCarron, with a bonus Super Junior Tag Tournament preview by Rob, and then the second night of the Road to Power Struggle Tour, which was the kickoff of the Junior Tag League first round. Actually, it's not a tag league. It's a tag tournament, because it's single elimination. It is not a league. But... From Cork and Hall, we've got that review up there as well by Rue Gunn. And let me tell you something about Rue Gunn. I'm going to talk about Rue Gunn for a minute. I cannot stand Rue Gunn. And it has nothing to do with Rue Gunn personally. She is a lovely young lady. It has nothing to do with the fact uh, that she, that she um, you know, her social justice dribble, as some have accused her of adding to her SmackDown reviews. Nothing to do with that. She has free reign on the content of anything she writes on this website, whether I personally agree with it, Rich personally agrees with it, or any of the readers agree with it. She's a tremendous writer, and she has free editorial range. She'll be the first one to tell you that. Nothing to do with the social justice dribble. In fact, I don't even see what she does as social justice dribble. She's been getting attacked from all sides and handling it very well, by the way. Handling it like a professional. Because when people actually read your shit, Criticism is inevitable. And as she has grown her profile, she has handled that criticism like a champion. She's doing a tremendous job. So it's nothing to do with the quote-unquote social justice drivel that she sometimes has in her columns, which I don't even think she overdoes it. There are some writers out there. We all know who they are. And not even necessarily just in the wrestling world who go out of their way to find these quote-unquote social justice drivel angles and insert them into their work. And I don't believe Rue does that. But when she sees things that she doesn't like, she damn well points them out and she makes her points. And whether I agree with all those points that she makes or not, she lays out her side um, uh, very effectively and explains why things bother her and why she thinks some things need to change. 
And then she leaves it that. She doesn't force it. She doesn't shoehorn it into everything she writes. And a good example of that is this Road to Power Struggle, October 24th, Cork and Hall show review that she did. I'm recording this on uh, 1024 at 137 p.m. in the afternoon on Saturday. So the show took place a few hours ago. The reason I hate Rue Gunn, I'm going to tell you right now, and I can't stand this person, is because her writing is so good. She's like, look, the only comparison I can make is when Rue Gunn writes a review for our site, if, if her reviews are a Maserati, it, it's like the stuff that I write is like a dump truck. That's the, the best comparison. Her writing is so slick. Her prose is so smooth. Her use of a semicolon. I mean, her semicolon usage. I have never seen semicolon usage like this. She is tremendous with a semicolon. I, I, listen, I, I don't think I've ever seen a writer as adept with a semicolon as Rugon. Man, does she weave in a semicolon. And colons too, for that matter. Proper usage all the way throughout. You don't even need to edit these things. Alex Wedlin doesn't even take, need to take a look at these things. She's tremendous writing. Yeah, she may, I read Rugun stuff and it makes me feel like I'm just taking my hands and just pounding on the keyboard. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I, like, I'm like, I feel like a dump truck. That's what I feel like. I feel like a dump truck attempting to type. I feel like a, a somebody with giantism, if that's an actual disease, with big fat fingers who, who thinks too slowly and is just, and just, just dumb fat fingers are just mashing on the keyboard and just producing a pile of fucking dog shit. That's what my writing feels like when I compare it to her writing. And that's why I hate her. That's why I hate Rugon. Can't stand her. Because she blows me to smithereens and makes me feel completely inadequate. But anyway, she reviewed the Cork and Hall New Japan show from hours ago, which I am actually going to get into in uh, uh, in more detail later on in this show. But the plugs must continue on. I'm going to plug a project. Well, see, the reason I missed the Voices of Wrestling podcast, which, by the way, Sean Flynn stepped in, the former and future Raw reviewer for this very website. He will be back. But he – look, look. We all get burnt out on Raw. Okay. Imagine watching Raw every week and then taking two hours out of your life to then write about what you just watched every week. I mean it, it, it can wear on anybody. So you've had some fill-ins stepping in, Brian Rose might be – but Sean Flynn will be back. But this week he stepped in on the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast because we had to record a day early, which normally wouldn't have been a problem. But I had already committed to a guest spot. On Chris Zellner's Exile on Bad Street for Wednesday. So I couldn't record on Wednesday. I didn't want to back out, obviously. Rich understood since it was kind of late notice that he couldn't go on Thursday. So he found Sean Flynn. They recorded a show. They talked about uh, Hell in a Cell or Hell in the Cell. I'm still not quite sure which way that one is. They talked about the Barbie Hayden situation, which I'm going to get into a little bit. A little later on as well. So check that out. Check out the flagship from earlier this week. The normally scheduled flagship. And then, uh, of course, I was committed to doing a little weekend bonus, which is what you're listening to now. But I did appear on Exile on Bad, on Bad Street with uh, Chris Zellner earlier this week. I don't know if he has released it yet as of this recording. But um, fun show. He also had Rob Viper on the show. 
So it was myself and Rob Viper on with Chris Zellner, and we discussed wrestling crowds. Now, I'll tell you, this was not your, you know, you're probably thinking this was just, uh, you know, the, the, the never ending Twitter argument about, you know, whether crowd chants are good or crowd chants are bad or, you know, the, the current state of wrestling crowd. And there's a little bit of that. But at the end of the day, this was a two-hour podcast with three dudes bullshitting about wrestling. So I strongly recommend it. It was a blast to record. I think it uh, it, it came out very, very well. And uh, there was uh, decent chemistry there. And, and we had a fun conversation, not just about the current state of wrestling crowds, but also wrestling crowds that we've been a part of, famous venues that we've all attended wrestling shows in and our and our observations of that. And it was it was it was interesting because we all are from three different parts of the world and we all enjoy different kinds of wrestling. And so we all had very different experiences in different famous venues for wrestling. And 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 it was strange because we all sort of envied each other and and, and the experiences that we've had attending wrestling shows over the years. And uh, I won't spoil a ton of it, but go ahead and find that. Exile on Bad Street, Chris Zellner, uh, his great podcast, which I was uh, very humbled to be invited to be a part of, and I thought it came up very well. And, of course, hey, look, when you've got Joe Lanza and Rob Viper on the same podcast, I mean, we're two of the most hated men in the, uh, the old IWC. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and, and – so if there's probably plenty of people out there who hate both of us. So if you hate both of us, you can, you can, you can listen to this podcast and hate both of us even more, which would be tremendous uh, because I feed off the hate. Go ahead. Hate me. So, uh, yeah. So listen to that. Exile on Bad Street. Voice of Wrestling forums lighting up lately. I don't know if you guys saw this on the Voice of Wrestling forum, but this was quite the moment earlier this week. The Frey Movement, at The Frey Movement, who probably tweets more per minute than anybody alive. I don't know what this guy, he claims to have a job. Of course, I'm talking about Charles Humphreys, because we're shooting now. That's a shoot name. Charles Humphreys, a.k.a. The Frey Movement. Famous wrestling tweeter, uh, who has probably been been unfollowed by as many people as he's been followed by, because he never stops tweeting. I mean, he takes a break to sleep, and then he wakes up and just tweets nonstop about wrestling for, you know, the next 16 hours of the day. The guy's a machine. So anyway, he goes on our forums and he starts a thread to, uh, to bash one Johnny Gargano. And of course, uh, Mr. Humphreys is not a fan of, of, of Gargano's work. So he starts this thread to bash Gargano. And somebody points it out to Gargano that this threat exists. So Johnny signs up for our forums. And in the ultimate display of working yourself into a shoot, totally back down for a and, and hand. Look, he had a look. Johnny came in. He had a lot of fun with it. Said, you don't have to like me. The basic gist of it was, you don't have to like me. That's okay. And he basically killed Frey with kindness and uh it, it, it look it just it, it, it's crazy i mean our forms have just taken off to the point where if you call out a wrestler be careful 
because that wrestler might show up and confront you in the thread, which is which is exactly the kind of uh, culture that we want to cultivate there. So check out the Voices of Wrestling forums as well, uh, particularly the Johnny Gargano thread, if you want to see Johnny Gargano's response to serial tweeter. And I, I really do think this guy has a problem. I think uh, he may need an intervention. I mean, he's completely out of control, uh, the frame movement. So there you go. And I think that's all the plugs. So before we get into the New Japan show and a little bit of New Japan news, because you know we did agree, myself and Rich, we're like, look, if we're doing two shows this week, We've got to split up what we're going to talk about. We don't want to overlap because we don't want you guys listening to the same topics over and over. That's just There's just no point in that. So he volunteered for Hell in a Cell coverage. And I guess it makes sense because he had Sean Flynn coming on. He covers WWE for the site, which I couldn't be more th- – basically, when he said, all right, I'll take Hell in a Cell, I was like when my neighbor – took the deal for the 60-40 with the fence. I couldn't agree fast enough. So I was like, oh, yeah, you got it. Hell in a Cell, all yours, buddy. In fact, I'm looking back at the text messages now. I kept calling Hell in a Cell Elimination Chamber. And Rich never corrected me, despite the fact that I continued to call the show Elimination Chamber. So that shows you how much I'm into Hell in a Cell, because I don't even know the name of the fucking event. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm calling it Elimination Chamber, which I believe is in February. It used to be in February. I think they dumped it. But, uh, but yeah, so if you need your Hell in a Cell coverage, if you're dying for it, which you know by the time you listen to this, the show might even be over. But if you need that Hell in a Cell preview, go listen to the flagship uh, in your normally scheduled time slot, which was recorded earlier in this week. So those guys took the Hell in a Cell coverage. I took the New Japan coverage, and I figured I'd wait until after the first round of this tag tournament, this junior tag tournament, uh, was over so that I could uh, review those matches for you. But before we get into that, we're going to get into some other stuff. Uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Dave has announced that it will be coming out in about two to three weeks, the issue. Two to three weeks. I don't know if you guys heard this, but... They finally started doing some audio over there, Dave, Brian, and they had Matt Farmer come on the show to talk about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame and break down the candidates. And this was, I tell you, this was one of the most amusing um, pieces of audio I've ever heard when uh, Brian introduced Matt Farmer and he introduced Dave and he said, basically what Brian said was, Dave, why don't we go down the entire ballot and we'll do it in alphabetical order? And then I'm thinking to myself, now hold on a second. You got Matt Farmer on this show who we did a Hall of Fame show last year with where we did the uh, the Mexico category with him and it went about two hours. Just the Mexico category. Matt Farmer, tremendous wrestling historian, smart guy, uh, great guy to have on to talk about the Hall of Fame. But, uh, you know, a guy who likes to talk. Then you have Dave Meltzer who I think is the only person on the planet more long-winded than me. And the plan was to go down the entire ballot by alphabetical order. So I look at the timestamp on this thing, and I'm like, how long is this podcast? Is it, is it six hours long? Are they trying to break some of our records here? No, standard length. And I'm thinking, there's no shot they're getting through this thing. So it starts off, and Brian, it, you know, as promised, right down the list, they start with the historical category, the Assassins. Dave and Farmer talk about the Assassins, and uh, so they're going right down the list, 
And 45 minutes later, June Byers, they're on the letter B, 45 minutes later. And it's very clear that they're not getting through this thing, which I found very amusing. So anyway, about an hour into it, I think they're on the letter C at this point. And uh, Brian finally taps out and he waves it off and he says, look, Matt, you're going to have to come back because we're never going to finish this thing. But uh, look, we knew they weren't going to get through it. It's going to take them – for them to go through this entire ballot in alphabet – they got to the letter C in the first category. They didn't even get out of the historical bucket yet. And they're only on the letter C or whatever it is. So it's going to take – that. they're not going to finish these things. They're not going to – they will not get through every candidate – until well after the Hall of Fame results are out, and we know that seven people got in. I'm dying to know who they are. But there's no chance they're getting through that before the, before the issue comes out. They wouldn't get through every one of these candidates until next year's ballot came out, which is a shame because Dave and Matt are tremendous on these shows. So, um, you know, what I'm getting to here is I strongly recommend if you're a member of the Figure Four site, Go listen to that podcast, and they only got to about five or six candidates, but there were tremendous breakdowns of those historical candidates, especially since in that category, I think a lot of people are, are in the dark about a lot of those candidates or maybe just know, um, you know some fringe facts about it because a lot of that was – it was before most of our times. I mean you know, what, do you, what do you know about June Byers? I, I, I don't know much about June but you, know, you learn a lot listening to guys like Dave and Matt. So I wanted to push that a little bit. I thought that was interesting. Now um, – this Barbie Hayden thing. Now, look, I know Rich and Sean talked about this, and I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what they had to say. I'm looking at her GoFundMe now, and for those who don't know, independent wrestler Barbie Hayden, Texas area independent wrestler Barbie Hayden. Apparently, she wants to move to Florida to get noticed by the WWE. And in doing so, she has started a GoFundMe titled Chasing My Dreams, and she's looking for $3,500 basically to cover moving expenses, and as she phrases it, uh, let's see, first month's rent. So, yeah, I'm just reading her, uh, I know, riveting radio, right? But yeah, so I set a moving date with my current landlord and current jobs, but was stricken with a series of misfortune. The money I saved up to move was first uh, was used first by a blowout that forced me to spend $1,000 on my car. Just weeks later, I was struck by a truck driving to work and more savings had to be spent. I have money to move still, but any extra help would be greatly appreciated. And she goes on to talk about her credentials. She was the youngest female to ever hold the NWA world title, one of the longest reigns in history. This little description here has been edited. This was not the original one that I read. But at any rate, the gist of it is the same. She's looking for $3,500 to move to Florida. There's no mention. Yeah, she definitely edited this description. Has anybody brought that up? This is not the description that I read even a couple of days ago. There's no mention of WWE, which now I think about it, I'm not sure she mentioned them directly last time either. Yeah, it just says move across the country to better my chances. She, she, she specifically said Florida. 
in the original description. Right now it says move across the country to better my chances. This was changed. I wonder why. This is this is much more vague. Maybe because she was taking criticism for moving to Florida to be noticed but which because the point here is you don't need to move to Florida to be noticed by that company. And and something that's been pointed out by many people including our pal Trevor the Irish wrestling fan is they just signed Athena who's also from Texas which is where Barbie uh, Barbie Hayden hails from. In fact, um she lives in my home. She lives where I live. She lives in College Station, Texas. We live in the same town. I've I've bumped into her and uh you know her now ex, you know, Carson, Houston Carson, you know, I've seen them a million times around town. They they live here. Um so, you know, the the, the thing is like Athena was also a Texas-based wrestler, also a Texas-based female wrestler, and, and you know she didn't move to Florida. And they found her somehow. They work in all the same places, all the same promotions. Whether it's Inspire or Anarchy up in Austin, where you know they, they work the same Texas loop. And you know Barbie's gotten outside of Texas plenty of times, as noted in her little description here. She's been to China, Canada, Mexico. NWA world champion. So this is very bizarre that she feels she needs to move to Florida to be noticed by WWE, but all of that has been removed from the description here in the GoFundMe, which is interesting. It's a, it's, it's a lot more vague, and there's been some more woe is me stuff added to this. Getting hit by the truck and, and this and that. This was not here originally. So anyway, at any rate... Um, who knows where she's moving now? Maybe she's not moving to Florida anymore. Just says across the country. Look, it wasn't necessary. It's not necessary to move to Florida to get noticed by WWE, as as evidenced by Athena. I mean, you know, it, 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 that's, they're, they're, they're very similar comps. They work in all the same places. So as soon as I saw this, as soon as somebody sent this to me, uh, you know, when she originally posted it uh, three days ago or whatever it was. I just thought to myself, oh no, this she's hanging herself. She's hanging herself. This was not going to go over well. This wasn't going to go over well with fans. And this certainly wasn't going to go over well with wrestlers. And it didn't. And she has been taking a pounding for three days over this GoFundMe. As I look at it uh, right this second, she's up to $1,065. So she's almost halfway home. And that's in three days. Uh, to be fair, nearly half of that came from one donation where she got $500. So it's – I don't know. It's going to be an uphill climb. I don't know if she's going to make it. I will tell you that Big Daddy Yum Yum has dropped the Ulysses on her. That's right. A five ball. 50 bucks from Big Daddy Yum Yum. Is five ball slang for $50? I don't even know if it is. I just made that up. But we're going to make that a thing. From now on, $50 is henceforth known as a five ball. We're going to roll with that. But uh, I see we have a donation here from Yum Yum. Yum Yum. That's what it says. For $50. Quote, 
I love the way you think outside the box. You have a goal and you figured out a way to get there. I have the utmost respect for you and know that you can conquer any task you set your mind to it. So there you go. Big Daddy Yum Yum or Yum Yum as it's labeled here drops 50 bucks on Barbie Hayden's GoFundMe. Now, I, I'm almost positive that Big Daddy Yum Yum uh, makes Barbie Hayden's gear. I, I, I don't know. Listen, I, I swear that I heard that somewhere over a bit. But I, so there, there's a tie in there. They're obviously tight. But $50 from Big Daddy Yum Yum. So there you go. But yeah, at any, at any rate, she got $1,065 as we speak. Let me refresh it to see if she got anything else here. I did put up this page a couple hours ago. Um, look, she might get it. She might get this money, despite the fact that she's really taking a pounding from all sides. And she's taking a pounding from a lot of other female wrestlers as well, which is interesting because either people that, you know, she's either has worked with or is going to have to work with as she moves down the line. I don't know if this is going to affect her bookings. Uh, she clearly has a lot of heat right now. Look, the GoFundMe was a bad idea. It's a bad idea from the perspective of it's a horrible PR move. There was no way she was going to come out of this not looking bad. And the problem with this is there isn't an independent wrestler out there who hasn't had to move or hasn't chosen to move or hasn't been through a move for uh, you know wrestling reasons. There isn't an independent wrestler out there who hasn't slummed it on a couch for a day or a week or a month or for six months or you know has driven cross country you know eating tuna out of a out of a can and 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 scraping together coins to to get that last bit of gas to the next booking or to the next desk or to the next couch that they were going to sleep on and because of that you knew that these wrestlers were going to have an enormous problem with this is some of it rooted in jealousy absolutely some of it is why didn't I think of that? Particularly if you're a female wrestler. Because let's not ignore the elephant in the room here. If you're a female wrestler, it's a lot easier to get this kind of money out of the fans than if you're a male wrestler because of the creep factor. We could ignore it like it's not there. We could pretend that it's not real. But the creep factor is very, very real in women's wrestling. There is a seedy underbelly to independent women's wrestling that nobody wants to talk about. And it is very seedy. And if you've heard some of the stories, you know what I'm talking about. There is a, there is a creep factor. It, it'll be easier for a woman... To get these kinds of funds and, 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 and something like this, then it would be for a man. That's just the bottom line. And as big of a pounding as she's taking from all sides on this, which is probably why she reworded the description. Um, and some of it just—I mean, look—it's it, you know, I, it's these wrestlers feel like she's taking the easy way out, whereas they went through the struggle. She's not willing to go through the struggle, which is why she probably added a couple more of those uh, what was me stories to her description and eliminated the fact that she was heading to Florida to pursue WWE. She softened the description a bit. So she is showing visible cracks under this heat that she's getting from all sides.
But she hasn't taken it down. It's still up. And we'll see if she gets it. Um, I, I would have recommended strongly against doing this. And when I saw it, I sent out some text messages to some people. And I said, listen, someone's got to tell her to take this thing down. I mean, this is a bad idea. Um, we all know how, you know, uh, you know, you get heat in wrestling and, you know, sometimes it dissipates and sometimes it just sticks with you. I, I can name some independent wrestlers right now who, who've had heat for years and it's not going to go away. And, and, and the heat, it, you know, and there's so much heat on, on, on some of these people that their friends get heat by proxy. <laughs> I, I know people who... Who have had, who went through periods where they where they had trouble getting booked because they were friends with a certain person in wrestling. I mean, you know, so it, it, it's a very very petty business. This was this was not a smart move. This was not a smart move. Um, I I I would have recommended strongly against it. I wish she didn't do it. Um, look, but the the, the fact of the matter is, let me tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something right now though. If she gets this money, you bet your ass other people are going to do it. <laughs> you, 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 can, you, you can bet the, the, the deed to your house that if she gets the $3,500, some of these people who have criticized her are going to set these things up. It'll be the new trend. And it's funny because a lot of the people ripping her, like this is not the, you know, like she's taking the easy way out. This is not the noble thing to do. This is not representative of hard work. Some of these people sell used gear to take advantage of the creep factor. Some of these people do customs to take advantage of the creep factor. Some of these people, I even saw uh, something spark up. They sell used panties to creeps to take advantage of the creep factor. How noble is that? You want to talk about ethics and hard work. I mean, come on, you're selling your gear so creeps can sniff it. I mean, you know, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. And not everybody criticizing her, you know, is, I don't want to use the word guilty. I don't want to, hey, listen, I don't want to get myself in a Shane Matthews situation here. I don't want to be blackballed like 3.0. For, you know, speaking the truth about customs and selling gear and everything else. I mean, I, far be it from me, you know, I would not want to be accused of being a misogynist, of course. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, why is that any better? And some of the people criticizing her are, are, are guilty of that. Not all, but some. Why is that representative of hard work? Selling your tights to some weirdo so he could sniff the sweat? I don't know. If you're doing that to fund your move or to support yourself, how's it any different than just straight up asking for the money directly? I, I you know, it's I, some people might argue. I'm not going to go down that road today, but some people might argue. That that's lower than this. Than just straight up asking for the money. But again, I'm not defending it. I think it's a really stupid move. 
Um, but who knows? Maybe in 10 years or 15 years, when she's on the Observer uh, Hall of Fame ballot, we'll see her as a uh, daring trailblazer who influenced wrestling in a positive manner because she set off uh, the chain of wrestlers going uh, doing GoFundMes to, uh, to support their careers. You never know. And the other thing about this is we don't know what's going on in her personal life. Uh, we know there was a breakup. Uh, maybe she's got to move regardless. And again, I'm not – look, I'm not trying to justify the GoFundMe. But there's always more to the story. Maybe she is in a tough spot. Maybe she doesn't want to put all that out there. Understandably. Who knows? Um, but it, 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 I wouldn't have recommended it. I, th- I thought it, it was a bad idea from the start. Um, I've talked privately to some people uh, who, who – look, I, there aren't many people who think it's a good idea in wrestling, um, especially privately. I mean it's just – but but at the same time, do I think the beating that she's taken is fair too? I don't, I don't know. Not from – from certain people. I don't want to hear from certain people. I just don't. I don't want to hear it from certain people. Some of it's jealousy. Some of it's justifiable too. It's 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 interesting though. It's an interesting situation to follow. I'm very curious what the ripple effect will be if she gets the money. If she doesn't get the money, she's just going to get laughed at, mocked some more, and this will go away. If she gets the money, you're going to see a lot of hypocrites in action. I guarantee it. You will see more of this. You may see more of this before her, her, her campaign ends. I mean other people might jump on this. They'd have a lot of guts because they're going to take the same beating. But um, you know, sometimes it's the person who takes the initial risk, who takes the initial beating for everybody else who follows. Who knows? I mean personally, I don't, I don't have a like – a super hot take on the ethics behind it. I don't know how I feel about it from that perspective. It, I just know that it's not something I would do. And it's not something I'd recommend someone would do. I wouldn't recommend someone do it because of, of the PR aspect of it. It's just a terrible PR move. Personally, I couldn't do it because I'm too prideful. And just, I know it's not apples to oranges because, you know, we're providing entertainment for people and uh, we do need money to run the website and stuff. But this is, look, We've been very open about the internal debates that we have at this website over whether we should uh, go the donation route. You know, we've talked about, um, you know, Aubrey Sitterson and his, his Patreon on this show before, which uh, clearly has struck a nerve with him because we haven't talked about that guy in months, but he cannot keep our names out of his mouth on Twitter. It's amazing. He brings us up about every three days like clockwork, unprovoked. So it really annoyed him that we talked about his Patreon. But when the fact of the matter is, yeah, you know, look, I get it. I can be abrasive. Our show is kind of in your face and all that. But at the end of the day, if you really listen to the things that we've said about Aubrey and his uh, his Patreon, is, is Rich is very envious, first of all. Rich has always stated that he's very envious that this guy is able to make the money he makes off of his podcast. And... Um, you know, I'd like $2,000 a month or whatever it is too. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but I've always felt that it's a limited upside business strategy that he has and that it's penny smart, dollar dumb. 
it's getting him a small, which really amounts to a small amount of money now. It's not money you can live on. Um, but, but, but the Patreon route will always have diminishing returns. It just always will. There's a limited upside to that. And the fact that on Patreon, you're setting your own, you're setting your own cap. You're telling people, this is the amount I want. You're never going to exceed that amount because you're telling people that's what you need. So when new patrons, so to speak, log on, and let's say your goal is I need $10,000 a month to produce this content, and they see that you're getting 11000 human nature is they're not going to become patrons at that point. Most people will not because they're going to shrug their shoulders and say, eh, he's getting what he needs. You're limiting your upside, in my opinion, with Patreon. And that's always been my argument against it, you know, behind the scenes of voice arrest. Um, but, but again, you know, we've, we've talked about adding donation buttons or, you know, doing something just to uh, help cover costs, drive revenues, whatever the case may be, pay the writers, you know, whatever. It's so, I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing. And I know it's not apples, apples. She just wants money to move and, and get a, get a nice apartment somewhere. You know, we want money so we can continue providing you entertainment. But I, I've, I've, I don't know. I've always been against it. It's just not my thing to stick the hand out. I, I, I'm an old-fashioned way kind of guy. Go out there and do the work. And if it's good, you, you'll earn the money. I, I, I don't know. I, it's a, and that, that, I'm not trying to say that, that that makes me better than Barbie Hayden or Aubrey Sitterson or, or whoever else. I just, I, I'm very cautious about sticking the hand out. So me personally, I would never do something like this, for especially for something like a move, or just a straight up hand me money. And it, this was just a, a from a PR standpoint, absolute disaster, big mistake. And 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 you know she's people are all over within the business. So my instincts were right on that. Um, just just a horrible decision on her part. Going to take a short break here. And when I come back, we're going to do some New Japan, some news and notes, and we're going to go over the Super Juniors Tournament first round from Cork and Hall. So we will be right back. Internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Joe Lanza back with part two of this special bonus weekend audio Voices of Wrestling. You know, you may be noticing a drastic improvement in the audio quality of this part as opposed to part one of this podcast. That is because... I am a complete dope, and I recorded the first half of this show through the speakers of my laptop and not through my microphone. Why did I do that? Well, let's not get into all that. It's, it's basically another example of Joe versus technology, and we don't need to get into the sordid details of how that occurred. I've been recording segments for the upcoming debut of Lanza Unfiltered for the last month, with no issue, and for some reason, when I recorded the first half of this show, I forgot to turn the microphone on, and what you got was, and if you notice, the sound was fading in and out. As I'm listening to this, the sound is fading in and out, and that's because when I record these things, I'm not sitting at a desk, I'm not sitting on a couch, I'm not sitting in an easy chair, I'm pacing around the house as I record these things. That's just my process, man. I can't sit still. So I'm walking around, I'm looking out the window, 
I'm pacing, and as I'm moving away from the laptop, my voice is fading out, and then as I move back toward the laptop, my, my voice fades back in. I think at one point, you could hear a truck go down the street, uh, totally uh, masking what you're listening to uh, with what I'm saying, So, and you could hear the rain if you listen, that, 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 that those sounds that you hear, those little boom, 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 that's the rain outside from Hurricane Patricia, which is wreaking havoc on my backyard right now. My dogs will not go outside. I say, hey guys, you want to go out? I open up the door. They see the rain. They look at me like I've got three heads. I go, we're not going out there. What are you, crazy? Absolutely no shot. As soon as you're not paying attention, we're going to take our four little legs, we're going to run upstairs, and we're going to take a hot steaming shit right in the middle of the den. That's what we're going to do because we're not going out there in that rain. There's no chance. I don't know if I'd want them to go out in this rain anyway, because looking at my backyard now, there are enormous puddles which almost qualify as lakes in my backyard right now. I mean, one of my dogs is a chihuahua. She would drown if she fell in one of those puddles right now. I mean, there's no question. And she's really dumb, so I don't know if she can swim. She may not even have that basic instinct where... They just know how to swim as soon as – like she's that dumb. So I'm not positive she'd survive if she uh, – and she'd walk right into the puddle, believe me. She's a complete idiot. Hey, Lexi, look. I love you. I know you're looking at me right now, but you, you're not very smart. So anyway, um, that explains the awful, awful audio quality of the first half of this podcast. Listen, it's not like the second half of this is going to be high-definition audio, okay? I'm not exactly working with world-class equipment here. I got a laptop that's falling apart. I got a uh, the cheapest possible microphone that you can buy at the local Best Buy, but uh, hopefully it's going to be better than, um, than, than, than what you dealt with in the first half of the show. What we're going to talk about now is a little bit of New Japan news. We're going to review... Well, I'm not going to review the entire Quirk and Show, just the Super Junior tag matches. I haven't even watched the rest of the show yet. And I have not watched the 1023 show. I probably won't get to that one for some time. I am so backed up with the wrestling. I can't be the only one. There's, there's too much wrestling. I'm in the middle of finishing up Bola, and that's been my top priority. Whenever I got free time, got to watch the Bola. I've been trying to get to these Rev Pro shows when New Japan came to town. I haven't even gotten to them yet. Haven't even started them. Just don't have the time. Last night, FIP kicked off their trios tournament. Rave reviews. Warren Taylor. Warren. Ugh, Warren Taylor. That's not even a difficult one. Warren Taylor will have a review up on Voices of Wrestling at some point this weekend. Rave reviews. I heard they knocked it out of the park with this trios tournament. I'll tell you what. Last year, the FIP Trios tournament had a better lineup than Chikara's King of Trios, which was embarrassing because last year's King of Trios was pushed as the biggest tournament of all time by Chikara. And obviously, Chikara is a very high-profile indie, which should, in theory, be able to draw um, uh, a higher class of team. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it higher profile class of team than something like FIP. FIP really has been a feeder promotion for their entire existence. Early on, FIP, of course, was sort of the NXT to the ROH WWE. 
Gabe would give guys a shot in FIP, and if they prove themselves, they'd, they'd work the ROH shows. Or proven ROH wrestlers would go to FIP to work on different gimmicks, work on different characters. Sometimes you'd be a face in Ring of Honor, and you'd be doing a heel thing in FIP. It was a good place to work on things. And it was a feeder for Ring of Honor. When guys would come in for excursions, they'd get extra work on the FIP shows. Goshi Ozaki is a perfect example of that. And then when Gabe was let go from Ring of Honor, FIP has now become sort of a feeder for the higher profile WWN live promotions, such as the now defunct Dragon Gate USA and Evolve. So it's sort of serving the same function, but for WWN now instead of Ring of Honor. That's sort of what FIP has been throughout their whole history. If you want to look at it in baseball terms with this new WWE-WWN live relationship, if WWE is the big leagues and NXT is AAA and Evolve is AA, then FIP would be single A or rookie ball. It's your foot in the door. Now more than ever, FIP is a foot in the door. There will be eyes on you in FIP that are influential eyes if you want to move up in the wrestling business. If you're a low-level, a low, I, 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 sh- I should stop saying that. If you're a low-profile indie wrestler who works low-level shows, that's a more fair way to put it, your goal right now should be to get your foot in the door of FIP. I think there's no question. Especially if they keep putting on shows that get the kind of buzz and reviews that this trio show got this weekend the first round goes on all weekend and again they had a better lineup last year very much under the radar than King of Trios did last year and this year based on what I'm reading based on what I'm seeing from people I trust it sounds like it blew King of Trios out of the water I can't personally speak on it I haven't seen the show yet I have seen some of King of Trios including the, the final and I was not impressed with those shows at all. Haven't watched them all front to back. To be fair, I thought the final was, was a major letdown. The uh, Lucha Underground team against the Bullet Club team of the Young Bucks and AJ Styles, which on paper should have been a match of the year contender. Especially positioned as the finals of a big time tournament and the main event of the final night. Major letdown. I didn't even think it was a very good match, to be completely honest. It was sloppy. It peaked at the wrong time. Very anticlimactic finish. The most disappointing match of the year. I think that's very fair to say. So at some point, now I have another show I need to watch, this FIP show. And who knows, if if the second night is excellent too, I'll have to add, look, if I'm going to watch the first night, I might as well watch the second night. Just add it to the pile of stuff I'm never going to get to. Keep an eye on FIP. And some little birdies have told me that some other promotions are trying to 
you know, get into that WWN fold, which they'd be fools not to not to want to do that. This is a real exciting time in wrestling. It really is. So many moving parts, so much stuff going on. Different promotions working together. Such as Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ring of Honor Television. They're three highest rated shows now. If I'm not mistaken. They're top two for sure. But I believe they're top three and possibly their top four rated shows on Destination America have all been shows that featured New Japan talent. Now, what does that tell me? In two, two to three years ago, 2012, 2011, we spoke on this show about how New Japan has never drawn money in North America. Despite the fact that they were starting to get hot in Japan, the 2011 tour where we believe uh, Jersey All-Pro, Fat Frank, put up the money, put him out of business effectively as a full-time promoter forever until he passed away. Because that tour was a complete bomb. And it wasn't until about 2013 where you can legitimately say New Japan was drawing houses in North America. So, are drawing money in North America. And then, of course, the shows in Toronto and New York now are a yearly thing. Maybe it was 2014, actually, now that I think about it. But what, this, what these ratings tell me is, and look, they're not blockbuster ratings. It's about 175,000 people who are watching the highest rated or the most viewed Ring of Honor television shows on Destination America. What it tells me is, It's drawing the hardest of the hardcore fan. And we know that New Japan can draw that in North America. They've got several thousand, you know, subscriptions to New Japan World coming from outside of Japan. So a good chunk of that's probably coming from North America. They're able to draw the hardest of the hardcore. Wrestle Kingdom 9 did 15,000 pay-per-view buys or whatever it was. So it tells me that that's who's watching the Ring of Honor show on Destination America, if you want to try to read into that. And, and they're coming in to see a lot of these fans. It's, you know, all right, the New Japan guys, I'll check that out. But then they're not coming back the following week to watch BJ Whitmer. And why would they? So it tells me that Ring of Honor is, you know, it's, it adds a couple logs to the flame as to why they'd want to keep this relationship going. They got something good here going with New Japan. When it looked like that relationship was going to move backwards a little bit, a lot of tension with Global Force promoting Wrestle Kingdom 9, if you remember all that. Ring of Honor was miffed. But then Delirious popped up in Japan and cut that very racist promo, and it looks like everything is smooth sailing now. Everything is Ashley Remington now between the two sides. And next year, Ring of Honor is going to do some Ring of Honor shows in Japan. Looking forward to that. Which a lot of speculation centers around AJ Styles and whether he'll be champion for those shows since he's a proven draw in Japan. Not so fast. Talk to some people. Apparently, from what I'm told, from what I hear, 
things I hear. AJ Styles is not taking bookings beyond the first of the year. Read into that however you like. But obviously that tells me that AJ, if this is true, is leaving the door open after his New Japan contract expires. Because New Japan runs on one-year deals. Everybody listening to this probably knows that. They're just one-year deals over and over. And it's usually a formality that the native guys just sign. The foreign guys, not always a formality. But at least, look, if I'm AJ Styles, I'm leaving that door open too. Why wouldn't I? This is the time to strike if you're AJ Styles. If you're AJ Styles, when is the iron going to be hotter? If you want to end up in NXT. You know, it's funny. My first instinct is now is to say NXT and not WWE. I just assume that, the, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, it, that's what they do. Not only is that how they operate, but from a fan perspective, you'd rather see these guys in NXT. So just all instincts, you just, you just say NXT now. You don't even say WWE. I mean, really think about it. Where would you rather see AJ Styles in NXT or WWE? I mean, nobody listening is going to say WWE. So he can get on the treadmill with Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus? Get on that booking treadmill to nowhere? I mean, no one wants to see that. You want to see him in NXT. And, you know, if NXT is going to expand their their touring, which, well, not if, I mean, they are, this guy's a proven draw. He's a proven indie draw, proven draw in Japan. Seems like a good fit. Would be a blow to, to New Japan. Make no mistake about it. Be a blow. A lot of questions coming up for New Japan. The booking of the, the Tokyo Dome will tell a lot of stories when it comes to AJ Styles, Kota Ibushi, whether he re-ups for another year. To work both promotions, DDT and New Japan. Kazuchika Okada, that's another one. That speculation's never going to go away. Every year we're going to talk about this. No matter how much he denies it and says that he wants to be the one to take New Japan. Look, he's got to say that stuff. He may really think it, but he has to say it. That's his job. He's the burgeoning ace of the promotion. He can't, you know, he's, he's got to, he has to say those things. That he's in it for the long haul and he's there to take New Japan to new heights. He's got to say that. But the speculation about uh, Okada is never going away. Every fall, every winter, we're going to hear about this because he's six foot four. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He's charismatic. He's been in the United States before. He supposedly understands English and speaks it at a functional level when he has to and, and is willing to learn and can be taught. Spent that year and a half or whatever it was with TNA. Formed friendships here. Formed relationships. Knows people with WWE. Don't underestimate old Lord Tensai as a contact, I mean, you know, he's got all New Japan contacts, man. Don't underestimate that. That's why Juice Robinson's over there. He sent the feeler 
he, uh, Lord, you know, old Lord Tensai sent the feelers to New Japan and, and got Juice in when Juice wanted to get in. So between Regal and Lord Tensai, they know what's up. Don't think, you know, Triple H isn't familiar with Kazuchika Okada. So interesting, just things to keep an eye on. I don't think Okada's going anywhere. But AJ Styles, I don't know. I'd put that one at 50-50 right now. Kota Ibushi? Look at the booking. Let's see where he's slotted on that show. I've always said, I'm not going to go crazy over Kota Ibushi's booking the second half of this year until I see where he's slotted on that dome show. That will tell the story. If he's slotted in something unimportant, they think he's bouncing. Or they may think there's a chance he could bounce. Or they know that he's bouncing. WWE approached New Japan last week about using some form of New Japan footage, presumably on the network. Takaake Kadani, who has proven to be an aggressive businessman and a pretty good one. I mean, it's hard to argue with his results. He hasn't made all of the right moves. He's no Tom Cruise yet. He hasn't made all the right moves. But very few people do. But he has proven to be a bit of a, uh, I, I think, a uh, reliable businessman, a cagey businessman. I've seen many translations of his response to this offer and how he responded. Here's the one straight from the Wrestling Observer. I'll go with Meltzer, wherever Meltzer got his. Here's what Kadani had to say. One proposed idea would be for WWE to show New Japan Pro Wrestling footage. But this type of proposal just shows that they don't see us as competition. Play New Japan Pro Wrestling footage on the network. See if any of our wrestlers gain popularity. Then buy that wrestler out. That's probably the extent of their thoughts on it. It's a very obvious strategy. And I mean he's absolutely right. And he saw right through it. Again. There are people in WWE well aware of what's going on in New Japan. And they know who the key guys are. And it's very obvious what they were trying to do here. And they know that there's, uh, you know, at least some money to be made in the English-speaking audience with the New Japan product, too. I mean, look at it this way. If they're getting 8,000 Western buys or whatever it is for the New Japan World Service, um, you know, don't you think if the New Japan pay-per-views were on the network that those people would just, you know, it, it, there's, a lot, there's a good chunk portion of those people who would cancel their, I mean, it, a lot of those, the point is there's probably a ton of crossover. If you own New Japan World, there's a good chance you own WWE Network. Why would you just cancel New Japan World if the shows are going to be on WWE Network? Why would you pay for two services? You're going to keep the one, the English language service. More than likely, right? So, I mean, I'm sure WWE wasn't approaching it like that because those are small numbers to them, but it was kind of a predatory move too. In a roundabout way. 
But the bigger picture for WWE, of course, is exposing these guys, AJ Styles, Kazuchika Okada, Shinsuke Nakamura, whoever else, Jay White, Finley, Tanahashi, Kushida, another guy spends a lot of time in Canada, understands English very well. Nakamura spent time in his country, supposedly speaks very functional English. I mean, he's to expose their customers to these guys, there's no question. There's a lot of edges to that sword. Kadani saw right through it. He's got this notion that he can be competition for WWE. Look, they're not even close to being competition for WWE right now. Maybe on their own soil, sure. When WWE's running shows in Sumo Hall, yeah, New Japan, very rightly considered. But worldwide, they're not competition right now. They've made very, very small inroads into North America and into the West. Inroads, but very small inroads. But good on him. Good on him for seeing through this. A lot of promoters would jump on this without thinking it through. A lot of promoters would have jumped all over this and made a huge mistake. So when the network came out, a lot of people said, oh, I, you know, I wonder if you know, they could put ROH footage on. Why would ROH agree to that? Unless they were getting an exorbitant amount of money, which they're not going to get. They're just going to sell them snake oil. Like they tried to sell New Japan on snake oil here. The lore of being attached to the biggest... Look, you know, there's a lot of promoters who would have fell for that. Cork and Hall, October 24th. Best of the Super Juniors. Rue Gunn, of course, as noted earlier, reviewed this for the site. Did a tremendous job. And I got to say, I agree with her on most of the matches. All four of them, in fact. I, I don't have much dissension at all. Uh, the buzz around the internet was that this was a disappointing show. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think people place higher expectations on these. You know, we see the same thing every year when Best of the Super Juniors comes around. People get irrationally excited. And look, they're fun shows that produce some fun matchups, but you really don't get. Uh, until the semifinal, until the final night when it comes to the best of Super Juniors. The matches that determine the, fi- determine the finalists and then the final is usually where they really step it up. The rest of the tour, you're getting nice little 8 to 10 minute matches. Same thing with this tag tournament every year. I mean, if you thought you were coming into this and you were just looking at the names on the sheet and you thought you were getting four-star classics up and down the card, I mean, you weren't going to get that. I thought the tournament matches were fun, all in the three-star range, with a very disappointing main event, which seems to be the theme around the internet as I check out reviews, including Rue's review. Or she was not impressed with the main event at all. Neither was I, honestly. Very disappointing main event. I thought the main event, and let's start with that match, Time Splitters against Matt Seidel and Ricochet was the only match on paper where either team could have won. The other matches, you knew who was going to win the matches. This was the only outcome that was up in the air. So from that perspective, 
the uncertainty about the booking actually helped the match. And it just, it just was an average match. The first half of the match felt like a waste of time. And me and Rue were on the same page there. In her summary, she said, overall, it feels like a few minutes could have easily been removed from the match and the action condensed right with her 100%. If they weren't good, look, they were going to get more time than any other match on the, than any other uh, of the tournament matches on the show. And, and they did. They got 18 minutes. It was the longest match on the show, period. I, I, you know, I felt like they should have just, it was the main event, Cork and Hall, a matchup, first time matchup. I feel like they should have went all out for the 18 minutes. And they didn't. The second half of the match was very fun. The closing stretch was very fun. We knew it would be. The finish was very dynamic. But the first half of the match just didn't deliver. And Rue had it at two and a half, and I can't go much higher if, I, if, if higher at all. Maybe two and three quarters. I can't. I, I wouldn't go three on that match. And on paper, when you see the time splitters versus Matt Seidel and Ricochet, I come on. The, the floor, and it's a main event, the floor of that match needs to be three stars. It didn't even get to the floor. So I completely agree with Rue and some of the other reviews that I've seen. But look, it wasn't a terrible match, but look, it didn't meet expectations. Reminded me a lot of the Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, Mysticizes match at Triple Mania. A nice little match. Didn't meet my expectations. And look, I'm not someone who's even all that high on Mysticizes. I'm not high on him. But it was disappointing. So even though it was a good match, even though they were both good matches, you're still left disappointed because you're expecting a little more. Let's go through the whole thing now. We had the Red Dragon team, the champions, of course, against Tiger Mask and Jushin Liger. So Red Dragon came into this after beating a Young Lion team the night before. 31-1 and with 31 straight wins in two versus two straight-up traditional tag team matches in New Japan rings. That, of course, eliminates multi-team matches that technically they lost where they did not take the fall and matches on New Japan Ring of Honor joint shows where they also either lost or lost in multi-man matches or whatever. But straight two versus two tag team matches in New Japan rings. They are now 32-1 and one after this victory in the tournament with 32 straight wins. Look, I haven't done the research. I haven't looked it up. It might be time to do that, though. They are more than likely the most prolific tag team from a kayfabe perspective in New Japan pro wrestling history. What team could possibly have a better record than that with that many matches? 33 matches, 32-1, and one, 32 straight wins. Gato loves these guys. And look, I'm not complaining. This isn't a complaint. I love Red Dragon. Bobby Fish is one of my favorite wrestlers, as people very well know. I think Kyle O'Reilly has a ton of upside. But man, did they get protected. I didn't expect them to lose this match. I do expect them to lose the next match, but we'll get to that. This went 10 minutes and 24 seconds, and it was essentially a 10-minute and 24-second squash. It was as much of a squash as you're going to get when the opponents are respected veterans, like Tiger Mask and Jushin Liger. The story here was they took out Jushin Liger's arm early in the match, 
So Tiger Mask was essentially on his own down the stretch, and he was no match for the champions who delivered Chasing the Dragon and pinned him at the 10-minute, 24-second mark. Look, good match with good storytelling with some really good booking because it made the champions look super strong going into the semifinals because they cut through this team like a buzzsaw. And Liger and Tiger Mask aren't a top team. They're a mid-card team. But they've been the, 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 the Noah GHC junior champs, and they get, and Liger obviously is, always gets respect in the booking. This was a good, strong, solid win over a solid mid-card team. Good booking. Good stuff. They came out of this looking real strong. Their opponents in the semifinals will be Rapongi Vice, who defeated Kenny Omega and new Bullet Club member Chase Owens. What? I wasn't sure if Chase Owens was going to be a Bullet Club member or they were going to do the deal where they were just oh, you know, either reluctant partners or partners who didn't necessarily want to be teaming with each other. Uh, but, but no, Chase Owens was in full Bullet Club regalia and he was owning the gimmick. He looked like a mini AJ Styles. Which is ironic because he kind of has a reputation of the guy that you book in the United States when you can't book AJ Styles. That sounds like an insult, but it really isn't. It isn't meant to be one. I like Chase Owens. Probably more than most people do. I've seen him have really good matches, live in person, um, you know, on independent shows, and I like him. But, you know, he kind of comes off, you know, he's, he's the guy you book when you can't book AJ. In a lot of situations, it's okay. Get some work, right? But he looked like a mini AJ Styles here. The problem is he didn't work like one. He got lost in the shuffle in this match, and he got eaten up by Kenny Omega's charisma. Kenny Omega looked tremendous in this match. He really did. He looked awesome in this match. His charisma, his work, was it, which is always super crisp. One of the smoothest workers you're going to find in the world right now is Kenny Omega. Great worker. I love the garbage can drum deal. Banged it right in the face of this old, older, middle-aged gentleman who totally no-sold him, which I found hilarious during his introductions. He's banging this, this garbage can right in the guy's face. Dude is just sitting there stone-faced, arms crossed, b-boy stance, paying no mind to Kenny Omega and, 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 his, and his goofy gimmick. Tremendous stuff. Good little match here. Again, uh, three-star range. Wouldn't go much higher than that. Rapongi Vice picks up the win. Of course, Chase Owens takes the fall. The big takeaway here is, is Chase Owens... He, he really had a chance to stand out and, and cement a spot here uh, as a Bullet Club. He, just, he didn't stand out in this match. He just didn't. It's been his problem sometimes in New Japan. He'll, he, you know, his first appearance, of course, he was visibly nervous. And then he's, he got progressively better, and he's had some decent matches. One thing I'll say, he teased that little package pile driver finish of his, and Cork and Hall really popped for that. I'm very surprised that his finisher was that over. Now, look, Cork and Hall crowds are smarter crowds than a lot of the other crowds. That's the smart crowd in Japan. And they were hot for all these matches. They were a good crowd. And I'll tell you what. 16 men in this tournament, right? Eight teams, two, two guys apiece. 16 men in this tournament. 
four of them are Japanese. All four were eliminated in the first round. Adding a little fuel to that fire that Gato loves his foreigners. Tiger Mask, Jushin Liger, Rousuke Taguchi, Kushida, all out, first round. And there were only four of them, period. And I always hear this, ah, there's too many foreigners, the fans aren't into it because of all the fu- Fans are into this ma- these four matches. I look, I, it's Corkin, I understand. If this was out in some village in the middle of nowhere, or, you know, uh, maybe the wrong sumo, you know, sumo hall, maybe, you know. I didn't have a problem with it. Crowd reacted to all it. Crowd loved Kenny Omega. My takeaways, and, and, and again, that's why I was surprised that Chase Owens' finisher tease was over, but at the same time, it, you know, it's Corkin. Let me see him work a whole tour and see, let me see if that move is over in Aichi or where, one of these other little towns. But that was a takeaway for me. The other takeaway was Kenny Omega is going to be a money-drawing babyface in this company before long. Book it. Write it down. Lock it up. Lock it up. Kenny Omega will be a money-drawing babyface in this company at some point. And I'll tell you what. We're all kind of waiting for Carl Anderson to take over the leader of the Bullet Club and whatnot. If AJ Styles bounces at the end of the year, heads to Orlando to work in full sail, maybe Kenny Omega would become the leader of the Bullet Club. And that would signify his move to heavyweight that we all seem to be waiting for. That might be the better move. And then transition from there into a babyface turn. But that's several, you know, now we're playing chess. Now we're thinking several steps down the line. For this here, early exit for Kenny as Chase Owens. Look, I don't know if this was just a one show, one tour, whatever kind of deal with him in the Bullet Club. But, you know, it's another guy in Bullet Club to take falls if it's a long-term thing. Um, I don't mind him on these shows at all, especially in this role. He's only going to get better. Cody Hall with his Betty Boop shirt. I just, uh, I don't know. First of all, do you think this is a legitimate, do you you think they they have a licensing deal with with whoever owns the Betty Boop trademark? This is, no one else thinks this is bizarre? These Betty Boop Bullet Club shirts? Now, listen, I don't know about Japan. I don't know about Europe. All I know is the whole Betty Boop thing in the United States is like, signifies white trash all the way. Like, People who wear Betty Boop gear, have Betty Boop tattoos, eh, they're usually unsavory types. Yeah, it's kind of a white trash thing. I don't know about Japan, but it's like I see these, you combine Betty Boop with a wrestling shirt, and that's like, can you can you get like any more trailer park than Betty Boop on a wrestling shirt? I mean, I don't think you can. I, I, I don't think it would be possible to get more trailer park than that. Yeah, Cody Hall out there in his Betty Boop Bullet Club shirt, whatever. Cody Hall worked harder on this show than some of the people that were in matches, taking bumps outside the ring and everything else. So I'll give him some credit there. Uh, match number three, another Bullet Club team, the Young Bucks, but this one was victorious as they defeated Reisuke Taguchi and Mascara Dorada. 
This was, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 minute match. 11 minutes and 8 seconds to be exact. Again, I enjoyed this. Somewhere in the three-star range didn't blow me away, but it was, uh, you know, exactly what I was expecting out of the matches in this tournament. They had a little fun. And be, you know, they were doing their full-on PWG act, the Bucks were, tripping over the bottom rope and a lot of their shenanigans and antics. But it all works, and it gets over. And Dorada took the Meltzer driver here. So... If there was one other match other than the main event where you can kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly make an argument that there could be an upset, because every now and then in this tournament, they'll throw an upset at you. I remember Gato and Jado made like a run in this tournament a couple years ago when they hadn't won matches in years. Um, it would have been this match where you can kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly make an argument for Dorada and Taguchi, but I would have put the odds at 90%, 10% on this one, and, and the Bucks did win. So... Uh, Again, good booking here because what it does is it sets up the Young Bucks against Matt Seidel and Ricochet. And I'll tell you, if there were expectations for time splitters versus Matt Seidel and Ricochet, imagine the expectations for Young Bucks versus Matt Seidel and Ricochet. I know my expectations are going to be through the roof for that. So it may be another situation where we're let down. But if you look at the semifinals of this tournament, these are the matches that I think were the right matches because... I have a sneaking suspicion that Rapongi Vice was supposed to win the titles in that botched finish at King of Pro Wrestling. And maybe they get their win back, so to speak, in the semifinals here. I think they're going to beat Red Dragon and then in the win streak. And they're going to go to finals. And I think Seidel and Ricochet are going to beat the Young Bucks. And I think Rapongi Vice are going to win this tournament. I wouldn't put a gun to my head and make these predictions, but that's how I see it playing out. And then I see Rapongi Vice winning the titles from Red Dragon, whether that's at the World Tag League Finals or um, uh, Power Struggle or, or the Dome. I don't know. But that's how I see this ultimately playing out. How I would like it to play out is Rapongi Vice wins the tournament and then loses to Red Dragon. In their efforts to win the title, I, I, you know, let's let's have a nice long title run for once in this division. Why not? Because they really haven't hot potatoed it that much since it got on the red. Red Dragon, yeah, they've been solid champions here. Even if the last result was a mistake, as I suspect it may have been, I don't know that for a fact. But I guess we'll see. But that's what I would do. So anyway, uh, if you're not a hardcore New Japan fan, I can't recommend the show. Especially since the main event was such a letdown. If you're someone who uh, is a uh, big-time New Japan fan, obviously you're going to watch it no matter what I tell you. And I would say if you're a casual New Japan fan, it's, it's worth a look to watch at least those tournament matches. I haven't seen the other matches. According to Rue... In the review, her favorite match was the opener. And it's, you know, this was a Young Lion team. This is a trios match. The Young Lions against Makabe, Shibata, and Goto. So, um, essentially, three veterans beating the shit out of three Young Lions. And these Young Lions are excellent. In this case, it was Jay White, Shotanaka, and Yohei Komatsu. So, um, supposedly that was the best match in the show. I haven't seen it. I can't speak on that. 
but definitely not a show that if you're unless you're if if you're not a if if you're not a New Japan fan or maybe you just check in every now and then or it's 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 not a it wasn't a must see show. So that's the New Japan Corkin show from October 24th. I can't speak on the 1023 show either because I haven't seen that. Obviously, I'm not watching random Road 2 shows when I have all of these other uh, sh- you know, shows backlogged that I talked about earlier. So I don't know if I'll ever get to that one. I think I might just stick with McCarran's review and go from there. Speaking of McCarran's review of the 1023 show, he did a preview of this junior tournament. So let's check in and see if he said anything stupid that uh, went wrong when the tournament actually started to take place. Because that's always fun. I don't even know if he made any prognostications necessarily. But I guess we'll find out. Because I haven't read it yet. Because I was debating whether to watch a show or not. And I like to watch shows unspoiled. I'm old school, man. Okay, I get into the emotion of these wrestling matches and I don't like to know what's, uh, what's, what's going on before I watch. And apparently, in a very embarrassing turn of events, our own website appears to be down. So, so much for doing something impromptu. Not going to work out this time. Give it one more shot. Everyone knows the last ten minutes or so of these Voices of Wrestling shows are walking disasters anyway. Radio silence. Here we go. Well, this was a massive letdown. Rob's preview of the tournament simply turned out to be a graphic of the brackets. So he didn't make any predictions, and I cannot make fun of him. Talk about ending things on a flat note. At any rate, the semifinals are going to be on November 1st, also on New Japan World, with the finals, of course, on 11-7 at the, uh, at the Power Struggle show. So um, I misspoke earlier. So they can't do a title switch at Power Struggle because the tournament finals will be at Power Struggle. So if they do the subsequent title match with the winners of this tournament facing Red Dragon, it'll have to be at the World Tag League Finals or the Tokyo Dome, or don't forget, they do a bunch of Cork and Hall shows Christmas week at the end of December. They could always shoehorn that title defense on one of those shows. Um, Those are usually wacky shows where they do some different things with the booking, so you could see something like that to beef up one of those shows. I will say, I also wanted to note that the Cork and Hall show last night, paid attendance on that show was 1738, which means they probably had close to 2,000 people in the building in total. So it just goes to show. If you give... Cork and Hall, like I said, are the smartest fans in Japan. And they've sort of caught on to Gato's booking and how he throws that building nothing shows with horrible main events and multi-man tags. If you give them something to seek their, their teeth into, they'll come. Nice attendance here because they got themselves a little tournament here and they got matches that mean something. So they showed up and they reacted to the matches. And there was a little boy, a little Kushida fan in his little Kushida Marty McFly vest and it made my heart melt. It almost made me want to have children 
except not quite. I don't think anything's ever going to make me want to have children. But the kid was adorable. And unlike Bailey ignoring the fan at the Houston show I went to, Kushida acknowledged the little kid and he gave him his like a necklace gimmick or whatever. He took the necklace, his dog tags that he wears, I guess, and he gave the kid the dog tags. And the kid just, you know, didn't even know how to react. Just tremendous stuff. And on that note, for once, I think we're going to end a Voices of Wrestling podcast with that heartwarming story. We're not going to go down any Tinder roads. I'm not going to get uh, – yeah, let's end it on something nice for once. So for the absent Rich Krejci, I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Joe Lanza. I hope you enjoyed this special bonus weekend edition of the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Take care. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.